Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. In 2018, airlines flew nearly 4.5 billion passengers on about 40 million flights, and that's expected to double within 20 years. Aviation is responsible for 2% of global CO2 emissions. On the detail today, are passengers and airlines doing enough to save the planet? When Sean Hendy visited his parents in Dunedin, he took a train, ferry and two buses. Not because he wanted to see the country. The Auckland University physics professor was on a no-flying mission for the whole of 2018. Scientists as a group, we actually fly an awful lot. We're often flying to places to tell people to do something about carbon dioxide Which is so emissions. ironic, yeah. And, and yet at the same time we're doing it, we're, we're, we're emitting CO2. Yeah. And so I was thinking about the hypocrisy of that. Hendy's writing about the experience in a book to be published next month called Hashtag No Fly. His year of no flying wasn't great for his career. I work quite closely with a couple of scientists in Sydney. I work um, with people in London, um, people in the US. So I wasn't able to to go and participate in those collaborations, which I normally would do every year. The big one that I turned down last year was I was invited to go talk to the UK government about science and policy, so career opportunities. It was time-consuming, like the trip to Dunedin. Train to Wellington, get the ferry, I would have to stay a night somewhere, and then bussing down. I mean, I would try and build things into that, so I wasn't spending all my time travelling just to spend a couple of days in Dunedin. But he got a lot of media attention. Now, we got an Auckland University physics professor who's decided to walk the climate change talk literally. He's giving up air travel for a year to reduce his carbon footprint. Sean Hendy's with us. Good morning. Hi, good morning, Mike. Um, is this as far as anything else you could do? Did you weigh up the options or was this number one on your list? Um, this, is, this is one of the things that, that I, I thought about. I mean, when I looked at what, you know, what's my biggest impact on the climate, it's, it's my long-haul travel, actually, so it's going to international conferences. I was, I was sitting in the dark in Picton in the bus, <laughs> nibbling on a scone, um, <laughs> talking to Mike Hosking. So I got across to his audience. And he drastically cut his carbon emissions. This is appalling, actually. I re- was really shocked at the end of the end of 2017 when I sat down and added up my total. I'd, I'd flown 84,000 kilometres and I'd emitted 19 tonnes of CO2. So to put that in perspective, that's six to seven times what the average New Zealander emits, and I'd done that in my airline travel alone. I got that to below a tonne in 2018. So I cut my emissions from travel by about 95%. But in the big scheme of things, it's nothing, absolutely well, nothing. I mean, of course, and, and people, you know, some people love pointing this out to me, the plane still flew. <laughs> They didn't cancel the plane because I didn't get on it. No. So, in fact, those, the CO2 was still basically emitted, right? So this is one of the conundrums we face as individuals, right? We can choose not to fly, but actually the world keeps on ticking over, right? These emissions keep on being generated. So, actually, for me, the big, the big payoff was actually around trying to communicate. So let's look at Hendy's Auckland to Dunedin round trip. And you can do that on a thing called a carbon calculator, By taking the train, ferry, then buses, he generated 118 kilograms of CO2. If he'd driven a car there and back, it would be 554 kilos. Return flights would be 642 kilos per person. So overall, globally, flying is only responsible for about 2% of our emissions. So of all the things that we've got to change, yes, it's, it's important, but it's not perhaps the biggest challenge. However, in New Zealand, it's actually worse 
than that. A lot of countries are going to have to get carbon out of their electrical grid. So we, of course, we've got a lot of hydropower, mm. a lot of renewables on our grid. So we don't face that challenge. But we're a long way away from places. So people come here, they have to uh, fly long distances. So actually, and, and it's, it's interesting, it's quite hard to get figures on how much of our carbon emissions come from New Zealand. That's partly because um, we don't include the international travel in our national... You know, when someone flies from Australia to New Zealand... Who takes that, responsibility? Who takes responsibility yeah. for it? So at the moment <clears throat> in the national accounting schemes, international travel is not included. Um, Ministry of Transport will can estimate um, our share of emissions by looking at how much aviation fuel is being sold. Yeah. Um, so they can... T- within New Zealand. Within New Zealand. But that's... Also, maybe not, uh, it doesn't give you the full picture because, you know, aviation fuel is expensive in New Zealand and so airlines may well be topping up offshore more than they are topping up here. So, you know, it's quite hard to get a handle on it, but maybe something like 8 to 10%. In uh, New Zealand? In, of, of our emissions might be wow. coming from, from international travel. And, of course, we're dependent on tourism. Tourism is one of our biggest export earners. That's reliant largely on people flying here. Mm. Um, and so, it, so it's, you know, it's, it's quite an important part of our carbon bill. You know, as an individual, it's very hard to choose to decarbonise your life in many ways, right? A, a lot of the carbon that, that, that's coming from New Zealand you know, comes from agriculture, for example, through methane emissions, or it comes through infrastructure, through concrete. You as an individual, you know, the average New Zealander, the things that you choose to do in your daily life, um, while well, flying um, is one of those big choices that you make that, mm. that impacts on, on the climate. And I think that's why flying often comes up as, a, um, as something that you can do something about as an individual. It probably sounds obvious, but why does flying produce so much carbon dioxide? Yeah, well, it's, it's you know, uh, carbon dioxide is basically coming from f- fossil fuels. Fossil fuels contain an enormous amount of energy. If you think of uh, the, the energy falling on the sun at the moment, you know, any given instant, we can capture that, you know, we can burn wood. That's how we used to do it, right? We, we, we chopped down trees and burnt wood and we captured some of the energy from the sunlight that had fallen on the earth. Whereas fossil fuels come from millions, hundreds of millions of years of, of sunlight falling on the earth. So they're an enormous energy reserve that, of course, we've been using. We've, we've used it to build, build civilization. You know, our, our world would be a very different place if we hadn't had fossil fuels. But, of course, when we burn those, when we burn that energy, CO2 goes into the atmosphere. But it's very hard to wean ourselves off that energy, right? That energy is what gets you from, from Auckland to Sydney or Auckland to Wellington. It's portable. You can, we can fill a plane yeah. <laughs> with liquid fossil fuel <laughs> and we can, we can burn it as we fly. And it's very energy dense. And so it's a really useful source of energy that we can take with us from place to place. So we rely on it to fly. But what about the alternatives? There are plans in place and some prototype electric planes that would that would replace um, the fossil fuels with batteries. Yeah. Um, but those those technologies, it's very hard to see those being viable for long haul flying. Oh, we really? may see, you know, in twenty fifty we, we we may see, you know, domestic yeah, twenty fifty. Twenty fifty. Yeah, tw- uh. I mean, we'll start to we'll probably start to see more electric planes in the next decade. Yeah, um, but they're still going to be prototypes. It'll it'll be a long time before our, you know our entire plane fleet is is replaced by uh, electric yes. planes, and that's not going to be. It's it's very hard to see how that will um, take place with long haul travel. Um, and in know, the meantime, it'll be. Fossil fuels. Yeah, there's a couple of ways that the airlines can try and become net zero carbon. One is by using biofuels. Um, so that's where you grow crops. 
and and manufacture the the fuel from those crops, you know, you make ethanol, for example, that require an awful lot of land to be devoted to um, to growing biofuel. So that so it may be that we can supplement some of the jet fuel with biofuel, but it won't completely replace fossil fuels and jet fuel. And the other thing is, and of course, um, airlines already offer this, is, is carbon offsets. And Air New Zealand is committed to doing everything we can to reduce our climate change impacts. Now, one of the ways we can do this is by helping our customers manage their impact on climate change from air travel through our carbon offset program. If you go on the Air New Zealand website, you can tick a box, you can pay a little bit extra, and Air New Zealand promises to go out and plant some some trees (laughs) on your behalf. All of the money that's collected through that function essentially go out to buy carbon credits or carbon offsets from projects like this forestry project here at Hiningway Reserve. And when trees grow, they pull carbon dioxide out of the air, they make starches and sugars and, and, and cellulose, um, and so they capture some of the carbon that, that you've emitted. Um, and so that's probably what we'll, we'll see in the future, is, is people increasingly having to choose to offset Yes. Um, do you do through. that? Yeah, so I, so I do. So you believe in that? Um, I'm, I... <laughs> I, I, I mean, I have very mixed feelings about it. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's, I think it's better than doing nothing, um, but it's not a complete replacement. And New Zealand flyers are not keen on them. Here's the Herald's aviation writer, Grant Bradley. Well, uh, in the last year, I think about 4.6% of uh, Kiwi customers did that. Oh, is that right? So they haven't been leaping into it. Mm. The Brits, interestingly, are the more enthusiastic about doing that. Nearly 9% of people flying out of Britain are by carbon offset through the airline's website. What is it in New Zealand? Do people care that much? You know, is there awareness of it? Uh, who, who would know? I, I suppose uh, an airline passenger w- would think, well, that's the airline's problem, really. But uh, airlines, you know, they, they do their best to inform the, the, their passengers about the, the opportunity to do this, but um, it's not really front of mind when you're travelling, I don't think. To offset all our emissions, I think I, the, the, the figures, I, I did a back-of-the-envelope calculation, we'd have to plant something like 10 Tongariro National Parks, Right. Um, How many compens- trees? So would that that, that be? that's that's something like our billion trees. So if Shane Jones gets on with this billion trees thing, that should make us feel better about well, that how much just, we're that flying. Well, that might just take care of our uh, of our aviation. <laughs> and of just course, our aviation. Yeah, which is-, which is still only as you know only a fraction of our emissions. Hendy's not the only one doing his bit. Taking her climate fight to the high seas. Just time for some last goodbyes before 16-year-old activist Greta Thunberg sets sail from England for the United States. She's travelling aboard a yacht to join protests and take part in a United Nations climate summit. To avoid travelling by air, Thunberg is making her transatlantic trip on board the 60-foot yacht fitted with solar panels and underwater turbines that produce electricity on board. She's really um, captured people's imagination with what she's doing, which is fantastic. I remember thinking that it was very strange that humans, who are an animal species, among others, could be capable of changing the Earth's climate. I think airlines are aware of this this campaign. There's a group of Kiwis in New Zealand, uh, Fly Less Kiwis, on Mm. Facebook. And then there's Lauren McLean, the mum who's given up flying forever. If we can't stop emissions now, they're going to be relying on technology that doesn't exist. And the most important thing to me is trying to deliver my daughter 
a safe world. And if I can contribute to that by not flying myself, and then also it means that if I'm going to be an advocate for climate action, I'm walking the talk, and I think that's important. So that's individuals walking the talk, but what about the airlines? KLM has already started asking its customers, do you really need to take that flight? Maybe you could get to the same place by train. Wow, really? So they're actually trying to put people off flying. Annie Petsonk is a lawyer for the NGO Environmental Defence Fund based in Washington, D.C. She works with scientists, economists and policy experts on solutions to environmental problems. So different airlines are choosing different strategies. Some airlines are looking at investing in these big machines that are going to potentially suck carbon out of the atmosphere and store it or turn it into a a different fuel. And so there's a whole lot of innovation just beginning to develop because Corsia caps the emissions of the flights and airlines will have to do something about it. She's talking about a deal airlines have made to have carbon neutral growth from 2020, but it took them nearly 20 years to get there. And it was done through the UN agency, the International Civil Aviation Organization, or as Petsonk calls it, ICAO. ICAO reached an agreement to cap the emissions of international flights at 2020 levels. And every international flight between countries that are participating in this agreement has to either limit its emissions starting in 2021 to its 2020 levels or use a different fuel that doesn't emit as much over the life cycle of the fuel or purchase carbon offsets, reductions that happen somewhere else in the world to offset those emissions. That system is called the Carbon Offsetting and Reduction Scheme for International Aviation, C-O-R-S-I-A, CORSIA, and it's going to take effect in 2021 for all of those flights that I just mentioned. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has said that we need to strive to balance uh, uptake of carbon dioxide and emissions uh, by mid-century, so uh, sometimes also called net zero emissions by mid-century if we're going to avert the worst dangers of climate change. And uh, this cap at 2020 levels will make a big step toward that, but won't achieve that goal all on its own. So this will not be the only measure that uh, aviation takes. But for the time being, aviation is the first global sector to have a cap on its emissions. So I guess they have to be applauded for that. But then it's kind of hard to imagine because, you know, we're hearing about um, the growth of tourism and it's just growing and growing and growing. So how do airlines keep control on their carbon emissions? So this is a fundamental challenge, and and I want to say it's a challenge for aviation because there is such a thing as over-tourism. There are places in the world that are being damaged from too much tourism. But at the same time, bringing people of different cultures and countries together is very important in helping people understand 
the beauty and the importance of protecting these great places around the world and for improving understanding between peoples. So there's this kind of fundamental tension of, can I save these great places? Can I know the great places by visiting them? And am I damaging them by visiting them, including by the emissions of the flights? And what airlines have done so far is they've asked customers voluntarily, please, if you care about the climate, offset your emissions. And so participation in those programs has been relatively low. But because of Corsia, the airlines will have to invest in cleaner aircraft, newer fuels, better landing and takeoff practices and air traffic management so that it becomes more efficient, and carbon credits. And they'll have to look at the whole suite of technology options. And where does Air New Zealand fit in? We're thrilled today to have been announced as Air Transport World's Eco Airline of the Year. The airline's head of sustainability, Lisa Daniel, goes on to list things like making its planes more energy efficient while they're on the ground, partnerships with the likes of DOC, and developments in electric aircraft. And we really think that electric aircraft has a lot of prospect for New Zealand, given our high proportion of renewable energy, and the potential that for us to be able to use electric aircraft on our regional network. Well, they like to uh, be seen to be doing the right thing, and uh, and they were reasonably early into this, uh, the sustainability kick, um, and uh, they take it very seriously. They're trying to phase out single-use plastics, which uh, lots of airlines are, are doing. They're trying to um, get rid of a lot of waste going to landfill. They've conducted a uh, biofuel trial, but that's a fair way back now. That's, uh, that's nearly uh, 10 years ago, mm. where they um, tried a plant-based um, product called Jatropha. And uh, like other airlines, uh, they've, they've done it once, but the challenge there is, is, of course, making it scalable and economic. You can't get away from the fact that uh, burning kerosene aviation fuel is, is the cheapest way of doing it at the moment. And uh, although oil prices fluctuate, the uh, incentive to develop uh, alternative fuels on a large scale is just not there at the moment. And, you know, the thing is that airlines like Air New Zealand, they might say, well, you know, we're trying hard and we really do care. But the reality is that they are under pressure to make a profit, which means, doesn't it, that they have to increase their flights if they can and grow the numbers so you know for example Air New Zealand what just a week ago said it was starting flights from Auckland to Invercargill how you know how genuine are they about yeah well they're um they're catering to demand uh they, they, they wouldn't be flying if people didn't didn't want to fly so they're they're just um meeting a, uh, a demand from passengers to fly more often into more places and at the same time, that, that uh, fulfils a, a commercial imperative, um, and that's to make money. Mm. And uh, Air New Zealand, very profitable airline, um, got a very strong bottom line focus. But what they are conscious of, of course, is um, the more efficiently they can fly, the better it is for their, uh, for their bottom line. And uh, like all airlines, have been investing in uh, more efficient planes. Uh, generally, the, the planes they replace... Um, uh, were um, 20% less efficient, so they're they're gaining quite a lot in that. And um, along the way, it's better for the planet. But uh, those efficiency gains with technology are 
getting harder to find now. So can we keep flying without killing the planet? How optimistic is Annie Petsonk that the aviation industry is going to do its bit in terms of carbon emissions? From what I see, C-suites, that is executive suites of airlines, the CEOs and the boards of directors of airlines are starting to confront this issue. They're starting to see that the entire future of their industry depends on their ability to grapple with it effectively. Do they know now how they're going to do it? No. But do they see the challenge they are starting to? And that makes me optimistic. One of the side effects of the no-fly year was actually I did start to feel more optimistic it's it's interesting just you know i I think one of the things that um worries people so much about climate change and and makes action hard is it feels like it's in someone else's hands it feels like it's in our politicians hands and and you know they're not moving rapidly Mm. um you know we've been talking about this for gosh it's been 40 years actually since since scientists started really seriously bringing this to politicians attention and we haven't seen really significant action by politicians. So it feel, if, you know, the tendency is to feel ho- hopeless. What I found was by taking that action, I, I felt more in control mm. of things. You know, I actually did feel more positive and more optimistic. And Sean Hendy has gone back to flying, but he doesn't do it nearly as much as he used to. That's the detail for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz, made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell and our associate producer is Kethaki Masalamani. Kakite Ano. Ka